Before we get into today's episode of the podcast, a quick note that today's episode is brought to you by 2Before. 2Before is a product that I've been using for many months now. It is one of my go-to pre-run rituals that I take before my run, and it is something that has significantly contributed to my performance within my runs and workouts and overall just made me feel better. If you've never heard of 2Before before, it is blackcurrants, which are antioxidant berries grown in New Zealand, and studies have shown that consuming them regularly improves endurance by increasing blood flow and removing lactic acid. Blackcurrants also manage inflammation and kickstart muscle recovery, meaning you can hit the next training session feeling strong. Guys, it's used by professional running team Tin Man Elite, as well as teams in the NFL, NBA, and the NCAA, so it's tried and tested. You guys can get 30% off of 2Before with code the running effect 30 not only does this get you 30% off but also free shipping i've left a link to two before's website in the show notes so you guys can scroll down and hit that link or go directly to their website two before.com that's the number two before.com again 30% off with code the running effect 30 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Schleter. I'm a little sick right now, which is why I sound off. But today on the podcast is the one and only Callum Elson. Many of you guys have been asking for me to make this one happen because Callum has been on a tear recently. In fact, in his last race, he ran a new area record time of 346 to win the silver medal in the road mile at the 2023 World Athletics Road Running Championships. That was a super fun race to see and see how it played out with Hobbs Kessler, former podcast guest winning and Callum placing second right behind him. What's most interesting about Callum is he's been running for only just roughly three years. And so (laughs) from running three years ago to 356 in the mile and 335 in the 15 and all of that stuff is absolutely remarkable. And it was super enjoyable to kind of get an inside look into his journey. Before we hop into this episode, I greatly appreciate you giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It legitimately takes between five and 10 seconds to hit those two buttons, and the majority of you guys have not done those two things. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode with a friend, a family member, someone who you think would find value and benefit from it. With all of those notes aside, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Callum Elson. Callum Elson, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm all good. I'm all good. It's evening. For yeah, me, true. Man. It's evening. <laughs> ten, true. Past, 10 past six here in the UK. How's things with you? Uh, it's going well. Excited to have this conversation. Uh, I've known about you for quite some time now. I feel like you've been on the map for a little while, but after that performance, uh, the World Mile Championships, I got so many DMs of get this guy on, get this guy on. I was like, okay, we'll give the people what they want. So speaking of the UK, what's the weather there? right now i know the seasons are different us versus uk how's the weather in the uk yeah we're just we're just changing to winter now you guys would call it fall right we call it autumn here um but yeah it's it's just starting to get a little bit cold um kind of that weather where some days training's really nice you're still in shorts and short sleeves some days you're like "Ah, i better put my gloves on for this you know it's uh yeah the motivation's getting a little bit harder now it's not summer anymore do you like the colder weather where, you know, in the summer it can be harder to train? Of course, kind of depends on the distance and how far the runs are. And sometimes for track sessions, it, it's nice if it's really warm out. But I feel like as the weather gets chillier, colder, the the reps feel easier. You can breathe more. The humidity is not quite there. So do you like it or no? Not really. It seems like you don't really like yes, it from I, your response. 
No, yes and no, man. I guess, like, from a performance point of view, like, I think it definitely is better, like, for it to be a little bit cooler. But I'm all about the atmosphere. I just think those nights in the summer when it's kind of, we don't get super hot weather like you guys do. So for us, it's always pretty manageable. But just when it's staying late, uh, light later into the evenings, everyone's down at the track. The vibes just seem a little bit better. Everyone's kind of a bit more excited to be down there. Whereas now you turn up and like it's dark. I'm looking around the group and I'm seeing some faces where I'm like, I'm sure I recognize you, but I can't quite tell who you are with the hat on and the long sleeve and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I don't mind the weather too much. It doesn't snow too much in the UK, right? It's just like cold rain for many, many months. Is that correct? Yeah, just just rain and cold. We do get snow, but like it's nothing like compared to North America. It's like super light bits of snow. Uh, in the Scotland, in Scotland, some of the northerly parts they get it a little bit uh, worse. But no, we kind of have a couple of days running on the treadmill while they sort the roads out, and then we're all good. Would you ever consider moving to the US or training in the US, or is that something where you're like um, UK through and through? Uh, yes and no. Like I did a year there for college, and like I, it's not that I don't like America. I just love the UK. Like I think I'm like I, I love the culture in the UK. I, how I get along with the people, the type of banter and stuff we have is just so different to American culture. So training camps in America, great. Go there for races. I'd love to spend more time there. My coach is still based in the States. Um, but in terms of long-term planning and living and stuff like that, it would take a lot to get me to move out there, I think. Let's talk about your start in the sport. Take me through your start in the sport of running and what your first impressions of it were. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been running for quite a few years, just not really taking it too seriously. Um, when I was in, in school here, like we call it primary school, uh, so you're like age 10, 11, when you can start doing some running and cross country. And I always did that. But alongside that, I was playing football, rugby, you know, all, all the different sports and stuff that we have here. Um, and it wasn't until I got to maybe like, honestly, 18, 19. So this is like 2020 um, when COVID was hitting that that's the, the first time I've in, just been a runner and I've not done any football or, or anything else or soccer for you guys. Right um on on the side of things so my introduction to running was kind of the mass road races so like my parents would be training for a marathon like just as a hobby so i'd do like a random 10k on the road or a half marathon no, no kind of like introduction to to track and that sort of thing uh and i only ran my first 1500s like last year in 2022 um and like middle distance and now that's kind of like my main event if you will so, yeah, a bit of a different non-traditional route into the sport, but um, one that I wouldn't change because I think a lot of the skills I have now compared to other athletes I've gained from the team sport environment and playing football and the teamwork, the camaraderie, the different responsibilities, the understanding tactics, all that sort of stuff, I think is um, a different angle and a different way to cope with high pressure situations that maybe traditional athletes don't have. How many years total then have you been just a runner and fully focused on it? Y yeah, just a runner. So it was it was 2020. So in, in, in England, uh, we had a lockdown in March 2020. Uh, and that was that meant that my un that was my final year in university. And that meant that the, uh, the the soccer season, the football season finished early. So in March, we had no more games. And there was no team practices allowed together. It was everything was by yourself. And obviously, I was still running in the summer when it wasn't uh, like the university time when you were home for holidays and things like that. I was doing some running training and I'd learned more about training from watching Tim Man videos and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was 2020 when I kind of went, OK, I don't have practice at football three or four times a week. I'm not getting kicked in the leg. I'm not battered and bruised. Maybe I'll try running six, seven days a week. Um, and my progress from then onwards was, yeah, pretty exponential. That's unbelievable. So like three-ish years. 
as how long you've been running and yeah. you just medaled oh. at the world championships on the roads. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's Do you crazy, guys how crazy like, that I, is? When I say that out yeah, loud. <laughs> yeah, I've been a running fan. It doesn't feel like three years to me because I, I've been a running fan for so many years. Like I've been a running fan for 10 plus years in terms of, you know, back when it was 2012 and it was like Mo Farah winning double gold and stuff like that. I was obsessed with athletics, like would have con- been consuming content of athletics has been like a, a second sport to me after football for a long time. And how I like you guys have semesters in the US where you'll have like fall and spring, but you're home for Christmas, you're home for the summer. We have similar in the UK and those times when I was home and I didn't have football practice, I would be running. So I've kind of always been in and out. It's, It's been three years that I've been sort of fully invested in it. I've understood what proper mileage is. I've, you know, been coached for a couple of years. It's, it's that sort of thing. So yeah, three years of being properly at it. I clearly expressed talent as a junior and like showed that I had some potential. It's not just like, oh, one day I bought some running shoes and then, you know, suddenly went to the world champs, right? (laughs) If you don't know, in the US, high school is ages like 14 through 18. And many of my guests will talk about how they were playing soccer before they were running. And generally, the thing that makes the switch is they realize they're way better at running than soccer and they probably have a future in the sport of running, but not soccer. So what was that like for you? Take me through that, that shift. Yeah, so when I was much younger, so like up until like the age of 14, 15, I was playing at like professional academies here in the UK. So I'm originally from Leeds, like Leeds United. I don't know if anyone heard of that team in the US. We used to be in the premiership. Um, I was like, you know, playing there and kind of when you're in that environment, you still think you could become a footballer and you love it and you've you've been doing it for, you know, 10 years. So you're kind of obsessed with that idea, but you're also developing the maturity where you realise you know, it's only 0.000 whatever percent of people that will make it to the actual top leagues. You start to understand your weaknesses. You start to understand how your body's developing differently to what maybe you need it to be. Um, but when I was at university in the UK, the, the you know, football is like a, a, a pillar of society in the UK, right? Like we absolutely love it. It's a cultural thing. A lot of the times people have very similar personalities, social events, and your friendship groups are really formed around it. And when I was there, I was I was still running, but like the friendships and the camaraderie and the enjoyment I got out of playing with the university football team compared to say with the track team was like, you know, night and day just based on the university that I was at. So I, I understood at that point when I'm sort of 17, 18, that I'm not going to make uh, be a professional footballer, right? But in my mind, I've got three years at university. I want to have the best possible time. So if that means like playing football and really enjoying it, and we still played at, you know, the top university level, like, you got like you the equivalent of being a top d1 school is basically where i played football um so it was you know still a really high level of sport and getting that sort of enjoyment um but i I always knew that once i finished university i was gonna just like then focus fully on running that was kind of my time to play football have that team environment but once i left i wasn't going to continue and try and pursue it in any way um i was then going to switch over and kind of knew i had a lot more years of a running career left because um, you can be a runner at a you know, far older age than you can be a footballer. Was it hard then to step away from the sport of football? And is that something that you maybe have in the back of your mind as a re-entrance to years down the road? Yeah, yes and no. Like I, I did miss it initially, but I, I was fortunate that once I stopped playing during COVID, there was no games going on anyway. And by the time that the games really started up again, I was already like showing some progress at running. And you'll know yourself and like anyone that's at any level that's listening, when you're making progress in running, it's the most motivation you ever have. It's the most fun to turn up to practice. It's the most fun to enter races because you're thinking, wow, like I wonder how much better I could get, you know? 
Uh, and I think in that year, in that first year from sort of March 2020 to um, to the following summer, so maybe like June 2021 or something, I went down from like a 1525k to a 1407. So if you imagine in that year period, like I'm just riding the high constantly of being like, oh, I'm doing this race. Now I'm racing these people. Now I'm like doing this event and um, kind of not ever looking back and thinking, oh, I wish I was playing football this Saturday or I wish I was training in the dark with my team this Saturday. Um, I'm kind of just enjoying the running and, and using it as like a new lease of life in sports. Can you take me through what your training looked like when you were doing both at the same time? What was that like, both running and football? Literally, I would just, like, when I was properly playing football, running all my, like, all my running would just come from football, pretty much. I would maybe do one, I wouldn't do any sessions, that's for sure, any workouts. I would just do, like, maybe one or two easy runs during the week. So I would have no long run because the Saturday I'd be playing the match, the Sunday I'd be recovering from the match. And then we train a couple of times a week where we obviously do a lot of running and stuff. But in, in my final season, we actually got the um, like the the GPS and the heart rate monitors and everything for like the team. So we would have to train with the, the stuff on. And we actually ran like a surprising amount in the game. So like all those years of playing football was a pretty good aerobic base. It wasn't like going from nothing to then suddenly, suddenly running again. Um, and when I when I stopped playing football and started running, I basically just switched the schedule. So every time I would have football, I was like just replacing with running and realized that the strain on your body of not, uh, you know, getting beat up or twisting and turning and shooting. It's like you protect your muscles so much more when you're running. It's just one singular motion, right? Um, so you can actually do way more volume and spend way more hours uh, running than you can playing something like football. So I could just up my training load pretty much, you know, every month, every year since then. Do you think soccer then has almost strengthened your muscles and tendons to the point where you probably are less of a risk at injury compared to most people? Because a lot of runners who start young, they don't have that same kind of development of the twisting and the turning, which probably sucks in the moment. It doesn't feel good. I mean, I played football growing up, but I think there are some maybe long-term gains to it. Potentially, yeah. I think like I, I don't have necessarily traditional running body type. Like I am a bit, a bit more filled out. Like I'm probably more on the muscular side than say like a low body fat, like very slight runner that you would traditionally associate a distance runner with. So, you know, that could potentially have one element, but the other way that I look at things is like, I'm 24 right now, but my training age, if you imagine, let's say my training age is four years for the sake of it. Like that's the equivalent of someone who maybe starts track properly when they're 16. So technically I'm like only 20 year old. So I'm still under 20 or a junior in my training age. So there's still a long time left for those injuries to potentially happen because often we see kids that, you know, it takes four or five years and then the, the cumulative load of all those miles starts to catch up with them. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't, but that's something that could eventually start to, to happen with me right now. I could still be riding the wave of like, being pretty fresh to the sport you know i've only done a couple of serious winter training cycles and stuff like that so um yeah it's hard to really make those comparisons with other runners in the u.s at least a lot of our biggest stars galen rupp uh like andy weeding like the list goes on so many people i talk to they started out in the sport of football apologies for my listener i'm, I'm flipping back between soccer and football same thing uh, okay. <laughs> uh do, what do you think the reason behind that is do you think it's just purely a coincidence or do you actually think there's a reason behind starting out in soccer i i think probably it's coincidence right like i'm sure if you did like a massive survey people would start in all kinds of sports you know like uh, people that listen to coffee club podcasts they'll know that ollie hall like was massively into his swimming and stuff like that and that's not a sport you would 
naturally associate with then transitioning over to running. But when you think about it logically, it clearly has, you know, benefits of building your aerobic base or, or having the discipline to turn up to training before school or, or whatever it is. So I think you can look at all sports and, uh, and work out things. Um, I'm just a big advocate. And when I speak to junior athletes now is like, you don't need to start taking it seriously too early. I think all the documentaries of the Inga Britsons and everything has made us think like, right, if you want to make it to the top, like you've got to be committed from when you're 13 and do all this and have these things and start taking these supplements and, and all that. I think actually the, the enjoyment of running is what will see most people through. And most people that, that, that push on to a top level um, have consistently enjoyed it every year. And they've obviously had their down moments, but they're still turning up and, and every season and thinking, yeah, I, I love this. I want to keep doing it. So the enjoyment factor, I think, is the, is the main thing. So when you're a kid, if that means trying out loads of different sports to find out which you truly enjoy, I think that's that's the key thing. It sounds like if you could go back and change and even train yourself as like a 10-year-old super seriously in the sport, you wouldn't. It seems like you're pretty happy with your path. Even though you got a later start, it seems like you're like pretty at peace with, yeah, I got a later start, but it was what's best for me. And, and my love for the sport at the moment probably wouldn't be the same if I hadn't gone on this path. Is that true or no? Yeah, I think that's true. And, and also like, you know, some of the guests you'll get on this podcast will be like obsessed with performance and like just focused on like this time or this accolade or, or this award. And of course I am. And I really want to get the best out of myself in the sport. But equally, I'm not, I don't think it, there should be something around saying there's other stuff I care about that's not running, right? Like I, I have a business, I work in digital marketing, I like doing these social things. Like there's more to me, I would like to think than just turning up and being a runner right now at this stage of my life that's my priority is trying to be the best athlete I can and hopefully make a career from the sport but I also want to still do other things and I look back through my childhood and my university and stuff like that and if I didn't do all these different things would I be the type of person I am now would I have the skills that I have would I have the different interests and friends probably not so I think like you know they say everything happens for a reason and it's super cliche but I, I genuinely do think that sometimes you should just follow what you enjoy and follow that kind of path that feels right well-roundedness identity that's a topic that i feel like has gotten brought up more and more on the podcast specifically with wiser older guests who are kind of at the end of their career and, and maybe regret not being more well-rounded growing up in the sport and how it was maybe a detriment to their life at times when running wasn't going well they got an injury or whatever it might be because running was their everything their life was really difficult as a result when they didn't have it. What are your thoughts just on that concept in general, uh, specifically as you spoke there to well-roundedness and, and trying to not make your identity strictly running focused? Yeah, I think, look, it's different for everyone, right? Like some people, the only way they can lock in and be sort of fully committed is by just removing everything else and thinking, right, this is what I do. I run, I eat, I sleep. The only things I eat are to benefit performance. The only things I, you know, focus on and, and put in my schedule is stuff that's going to be benefit performance and probably those people will go on to achieve generally speaking more than the people who aren't as committed so in my answer i'm not trying to say like oh you can just be laid back and you'll make it to the top because that's not really reality but equally i think you have to plan a life that's you know, longer than running and also think about the other significant individuals or relationships or things that you have in your life and work out what makes you happy and what's your priority. So I'd argue that as much as I love a PB and like, of course, I want to, you know, go out and, and smash a PB and run as fast as possible. That's one thing I want to do in my life. But equally, I want to make sure I've got like a, I'd love a good relationship and be able to go on holidays and, you know, 
enjoy my life and I'd like to make sure that I still have a really solid friendship group when I'm 40 years old of friends that I've had for the last 20 years. And often those things are difficult to all balance at once. You can't kind of just tell all your friends, right guys, see you. I'm going to just run, eat and sleep and I'll see you in five years and hopefully we all still get along. It's like not really a, a thing and same. I can't just say to my girlfriend, right, sorry, we're not doing anything fun now for five years. We're sleeping in an altitude tent. We're doing all this. Like that also, you know, wouldn't work. So for me, it's like a balance of, if other things also make me happy and I can use that happiness and enjoyment as fuel to put into my training, then I see it actually as something that's beneficial rather than something that's, that, that's taken away. So in the off season, if you can go away, have a good time, you know, be a bit looser with your schedule and have fun with your friends. When it comes back to that training and you're like, right, Monday, we start again. I take that two or three weeks I've had as like massive fuel to be like, God, that was so fun. And I enjoyed it so much because I let myself go because I knew I'd put all the work in. So let me go again. The next year, I'm going to put in all this work, do all this. And then the off season will be even better the, the year after. And yeah, that's kind of how I, how I operate. Can you take me through your progression from that moment during COVID when you started taking the sport more seriously, kind of up to present day? We can dissect some performances in a minute, but just the overall progression of how far you've come, some different performances, some different marks or events that were indicating to you that you were on the right path towards where you're at today. Yeah, so like uh, if I do it in chunks, kind of like, so I started obviously taking it seriously like 2020. 2021 summer, I ran 1407 uh, for 5K, which was like the standout performance on the track. Uh, it was also the shortest distance that I ran. I also did a 10K where I ran like 3011 or 3015, something like that. Um, and in that August in 2021, that's when I headed out to the States um, to do a year in the NCAA as a postgrad. I was supposed to go for two years, but that, that first year I was at home because of COVID and just like doing my classes online and things like that. When I went out to the States, like the first semester, I was like, okay, kind of like adjusting. We, you know, we didn't have an amazing coaching setup or, or anything. And I finished kind of 30 something, maybe at NCAA Division II cross. So like good, like D2 All-American, but not like setting the world on fire at all. Um, and then it was the indoor season where we, we got a new coach, Nick Aguila, who's still my coach now and has been since that day um for the indoor and outdoor season for that year and he was like look let's try some middle distance for the indoor season worst case like you get some speed and it's going to help you for the 5k outdoors i was like yeah cool like why not thinking that indoors would just kind of be like something i've never done before cool experience we're close to bu we get to go to the fast beats i'm gonna go watch you know the oac guys or whoever or bowman run some fast times great that's cool for me as a running fan um and I think my first mile race that I did around 4.09. The second one was in the DMR, split four flat. And then the third race around 3.59. And suddenly it was like, shit, like I'm a sub four miler after three races. That's like, that's crazy. Like I clearly have a natural aptitude and talent for the middle distances. And since then, so that's January 2021 until now, it's just been right. Like the 1500 or the mile is like the event we should focus on. You clearly have a natural talent at that like we clearly should progress, uh, progress forward. So that year I won the, the D2 indoor title for the mile. I won the D2, D2 outdoor uh, 1500 title and ran 340, I think, last summer. I ended with 340. Um, and kind of the race that changed things for me was at Penn Relays, which is obviously like for anyone who's been to Penn Relays, such an awesome event, um, both from like the coverage, the athletes, just, just the atmosphere, everything's great. Uh, and I managed to get into the professional mile, uh, the Benjamin Franklin mile. And this, it wasn't a stacked field, but for me, like I was just a college kid. Like this was the biggest race of my life at this point. 
um, and managed to take that win. And in my head, that was like, okay, like I've actually won a non-college race. You know, I've beaten some pros. This could potentially like be a great stepping stone for next year when I head back to the UK to prove to myself that like this could be something I could pursue. Um, and yeah, came back basically just, you know, trained and trained and trained, represented Great Britain at the Eurocross and the World Cross, um, made those teams. And then this summer gone in 2023, ran 335, like a major breakthrough performance of 1500. So yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind, but um, yeah, just testament to like Nick, my coaches, like gradual development with me, you know, keeping the mileage pretty low and contained and sort of treating me like I'm newish to the sport um, and not letting me go too crazy too early. We've kind of built slowly and hopefully that'll set us up for the next, you know, four or five years still being able to improve rather than uh, kind of rushing things. Is that kind of hard for you to handle at the moment where, okay, maybe you do a ridiculous amount of mileage and, and workouts and maybe run 332, but then the next season you get injured, right? So it's like almost like a short short term result for like long-term, you know, maybe more failure versus the more sustainable approach that you're taking where, you know, well, you might still run 332. I don't want to say you won't, but like the crazy result you <laughs> might not get, but in the long term, you'll probably have a more sustainable, healthy, successful career. Is that hard to balance? Yeah, look, I'm a very aspirational guy and I love like trying to speak stuff into existence. But at the same time, I'm also like a numbers guy and I'm very like I'm very realistic and I understand that running is like a seriously hard sport. And I would be one, an idiot and two, like disrespecting other athletes if I thought that in two years of running 1500s, I was going to run 331 or 332 and I was going to make the GB team and go to the Olympics. Like that's just that would be ridiculous to kind of you know, if someone said, okay, give me the evidence, I'd be like, oh, I don't have any. There's six, seven guys faster than me in the UK who are all at Diamond Leagues running 331. And they've been there, done that for the last five, six, seven years. So in terms of weighing up those options, okay, option one, rush things, train loads, go crazy, go to altitude, do this, do that, commit my whole life to running, and then try and make it. But potentially years afterwards, be like, okay, now I'm injured or I've burnt my matches or, or whatever the thing is. Or I can go, okay, maybe this year is a bit too competitive. This is going to be difficult. Use it as a learning process. Try and beat, beat those guys, race those guys. But let's actually look forward two, three, four years to the next Olympic cycle or next world champ cycle and get you there so you're really peaking as a 26, 27-year-old and you can basically you know, catch them when they're getting a little bit old and you're getting a little bit fitter. And hopefully that'll be like a, a perfect storm. So yeah, don't get me wrong. I would love to break through and do everything at once, but I'm also a realistic guy. And, you know, Josh Kerr and Jake Whiteman are the last two world champions. And unfortunately, unless I beat them, I'm not going to the Olympics. So it's uh, easier said than done. What do you say to the listener who heard you speak there, who struggles with patience? What would be some advice of someone who's clearly patient on how to kind of instill it in your life and training? Yeah, I think the thing with patience is, you're only ever patient for something if you understand the benefits of the long-term reward over the short term. So often, you know, thinking about it in your head or writing it down and understanding what is, you know, what short-term benefits do you get from one decision and what long-term benefits. And if you can't look at the long-term benefit and think that's the one I really want and that's really worth it, there's no need to be patient. You know, if the, if the long-term goal is not that attractive or that amazing, you know, don't be patient. There's, there's no need to be. But if you truly believe, actually, I'd love to shoot for the stars, go for the real long term goal and have this big, you know, thing that I want to achieve, then 
patience is a necessary step in order to get there, whether it's a certain PB you want to get to, a certain team you want to qualify for. You know, there's no athlete that's burst onto the scene and just done it. Everyone, if you look back, will have been there, failed loads of times, run crap loads of times, run well loads of times, probably thought they were going to make it and then didn't, and then eventually has persevered and been patient enough to to eventually get that long-term goal. So, yeah, I think you just got to weigh up, look, how bad do you want what you're looking to achieve? And it's fine if the answer is not that badly. If you'd actually like to, you know, try and run really well in five weeks' time, fine, train your ass off. That, that's cool. But if you're five years ahead is your really big goal and you really care about it, then you have to make the necessary sacrifices. So, yeah, I think it's it's individual to everyone. Take me through two races, one, the 335 race that kind of breakthrough for you. And then the second, uh, the world championship mile where you got second place. And also with that, like the whole selection process uh, and just kind of the craziness of everything that went down. Yeah. So 335 in the summer was was awesome. So I'd run, I basically I did like five races in a row and each one I got quicker. So I went 340, 338, 336. Uh, and then th- this particular race, 335, like the stars just aligned. We had a great race. We had Sam Tanner in the race, uh, New Zealand Olympian. Um, like he's run 331 now, um, as well as a whole. We had Adam Fogg in there. Maybe people on the podcast know Adam. Um, and then we had a whole host of Brits that were all around like the 337, 338 mark. Uh, and it was being paced pretty quick. And it was one of those where I'd already run 336. I was like... I've done my kind of summer goal. I wanted to run 336, 337. What have I got to lose? Let's just try and mix it up and and go for the win. And really, I didn't even know what the splits were, how fast we're going. When the bell rang, I just thought, right, like just race to win and and try to beat Santana. Just missed out on it in the end. Um, But ended up, you know, he pulled me essentially to, to getting a 335, which if I was beating him, I'm sure I wouldn't have got that. So it shows how you need to kind of, you know, race the best people in order to get those times. Um, so yeah, that was, that was awesome. The 335 that was in, in the end of July and sort of capped off the summer for me. I was supposed to race again, but I I was sick, so I didn't race. Then I had an early off season with a bit of time off and then built up again for the, like you mentioned the road mile, which in the UK, we actually had a trial for that. Um, which was, you know, just a trial race. There was, you know, however many people, 10, 12 people that were in the qualifying time, um, to race and the winner got picked for the team. So was fortunate enough to win that one. Um, and then a couple of weeks later had, had Riga, which yeah, was, was crazy. I just like, I don't really know how to describe what happened. It was a, a weird race in the sense that on paper, I probably shouldn't have got a medal on paper kind of, you know, probably only Hobbs should have got the medal of the people that did based on the 1500 meter times of, you know, Chariot and some of the, some of the other African athletes with the th- sort of three thirty three thirty one PBs. Um, but on the road, anything can happen. It's far more of a tactical affair in terms of knowing where you are on the course, where you want to sit in the pack compared to the track where it's just like sit behind the pacer or the wave lights and the fittest guy is probably going to win. Uh, there's far more thinking and, and tactics in a road mile. So I went in with the attitude of wanting to finish in the top 10 because I thought I have a realistic marker. It would mean that I'd put myself up there with a chance of trying to win. And, you know, when the best guys went past me, I'd hopefully finish in the top 10. But when we came to the final 400, I realized actually I was the one that was making a move to try and win rather than other guys coming past me. So, yeah, super close to being a world champion, which would be cool. Of course, the event doesn't quite have the prestige that the other world champion event, uh, championship events do. But I'm sure in five or 10 years, it will have that prestige with more athletes going because 
they'll realize people like me, you know, we, we aren't at the caliber yet to make a track outdoor champs or not in the UK. If I was in another country, I, I could probably make it, but the exposure that I'm getting and the conversations I'm having, the chats with brands, the support from people as a result of the medal probably leaves a lot of athletes at home who looked at the championships and thought, nah, that looks a bit, a bit crap. That doesn't have any prestige and thought I'm not going to bother making the team probably sat at home going, Hey, I could have, I could have run 356 and got a medal there. That could have opened up so many opportunities for me. It could have put me on the map a little bit and will regret the decision. So yeah, super glad that I, I did it. Super glad I could get a medal and I'm, I'm going to reap the rewards of making that sort of decision. So I'm very pleased. Speaking on both those races, but you spoke about it, particularly in relation to the 335 race, the mindset of competing. And with that, the times will come. Not all the time, but at least in my experience of talking to people, that's actually been a big focus of a lot of the most successful athletes is just compete. Compete with those around you. And if you do that really, really well, you're probably going to run a good time. So can you speak to that uh, specifically with a younger audience who is generally hyper, hyper, like obsessed with time, uh, which I always laugh at? Yeah, I mean, the first thing, right, for the American listeners is you can't be caring about the time on cross country. That was my most hated thing about the States when I was there. 8K time, 10K time, 5K time. Hey, cross country is is not how you measure a time, right? That's where you learn to race, in my opinion. You understand that on a course with rolling hills or different terrains, that's where you hone your craft. You understand, okay, the people I'm around, I, it feels like I'm running better than them on this part of the course, but I'm worse on this part. So I'm going to spend more energy here or less energy here. Or how far are we from the finish before I need to do my kick? Like I learned so much from cross country as, as a, a younger runner and still now as, a, as an older athlete of how to hone your race craft. And you take those lessons onto the track. And the approach is the exact same, right? On the course, on the track, you're going to understand your splits and how fast you're running. And you do need to have a gauge in your mind of, you know, what is too fast. Because if you just try and win every race, then, you know, you're going to blow up nine times out of 10. But having the mindset that you're not scared of anyone in the race is super important. Sometimes I've run a little bit scared. I've given people a bit too much respect and I've just got lost in the race. I've been in the middle of the pack for the whole time. I've made no moves and I've kind of just gone into a bit of a, defensive mindset of like oh let's just not come last or maybe i'll just settle for this this certain time that'll be okay but the amount of races you can do it's worth taking a risk especially if you're a middle distance athlete you can recover from a 1500 so quickly you can do two in a week if you need to so take a risk you know make a move a little bit earlier or think no okay i'm gonna just stick on this guy for 200 more meters and then see how i feel and just make those conscious racing decisions because often we sort of really surprise ourselves about how far we can can push with without knowing and i am i say to people i'm sure that if when you ran a 1500 if they started the clock like a little bit late and you so you're you thought you were or a little bit earlier whatever you want so you thought you were running faster than you were then you would be able to push yourself further you know if you know that you can do a 60 second lap and that clock says 60 your mind's going to go, okay, cool. You're relaxed here. Even if it's a 58, I really don't think that, you know, you'll, you'll feel the the difference. A lot of it is in our mind of what we think we're capable of. What would be the message or the lessons you want our audience to take away from your journey, your very unique journey in the sport? Yeah. I think the important lesson is to, is to back yourself and be self-assured and understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. And as a result of that, lean on other people and listen to people that have the knowledge that you don't. A massive part 
of my journey is of course understanding what I think I want, what makes me happy, you know, where I feel comfortable, but without the knowledge, the guidance, the support of people who know more than me about running or about life, I definitely wouldn't have made the decisions that I have. I can't take full responsibility for everything that I've done and, and how I've got to this point. So understand, you know, yourself and have some self self worth, but equally, you know, coaches have been coaches for 10, 20, 30 years because they're good at what they do. You know, people who are 40 or 50 years old, for better or worse, probably do have more life experience than us. You know, agents probably earn their living because they're good at what they do. You know, lean on people that have knowledge gaps that you don't have and be willing to take on advice. Don't sort of go total tunnel vision and just think, no, double threshold. That's what I do. 80 miles. That's what I do. And I'm training for national cross at the end of the year. That's all I care about because you're shutting yourself off from all of these other possibilities that could take you to the next level that you're not even aware of yet. So yeah, a mixture of believing in yourself and understanding what you enjoy, but um, not being afraid to listen to other people and take advice. Callum, one final question for you. The question I ask every single guest on every single episode. If you had Gordon Ramsay coming over to your house for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Oh, Gordon Ramsay, our fellow Brit, what would I make for him? <laughs> I would make a, I'd make a prawn linguine for Gordon Ramsay, a little prawn pasta dish. What is prong? Is that like fish? Yeah, prawn. Like, what do you have? Like, like lobster, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. And you've made this yeah, before? That's what I... Yeah, yeah, that's a regular on our schedule. Oh, wow. Uh, every couple of weeks we have that at the house. So are you yeah. a good cook then? I mean, that sounds pretty fancy. It sounds fancy. It's not really. Okay. It's pretty basic. <laughs> it's, um, but no, I enjoy cooking. Like we, me and my girlfriend, we, we share it around um, with, with what we make and what we do. Keeps things interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not a master chef for sure. <laughs> well, Callum, it's been an absolute pleasure learning from you here in your story. I'm very excited to, to see your journey unfold. And also I will probably have mentioned this in the intro, but I'll leave a link to your social media channels as well as YouTube channel. I think that would be an awesome way for our audience to kind of stay in touch with you, follow along the journey as I will be doing. So keep crushing it, man. And I uh, look forward to doing this in the future after you pick up some more hardware and uh, nail down some more PRs. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.